Today is Tuesday, October 19th. The title for our devotional is Christendom. Throughout most of church history, we see a very muddy relationship between the church and the state and their dynamics of power. For today, let's look at the beginning of this muddy relationship with the story of Constantine and the beginning of what's known as Christendom. Prior to the year 312, Christianity was a minority religion in the Roman Empire and was often persecuted. In 312, that all changed with the conversion of Emperor Constantine. At this time, there were four emperors of Rome, two in the east and two in the west. And while Constantine was warring with another emperor, Maxentius, he has a vision of the Cairo, the first two letters of the word Christ in Greek, and the phrase, by this, conquer, or something like that. He took that to mean that the Christian God was with him, and later he attributed his victory at that ensuing battle to Christ. The Cairo subsequently became a symbol which he placed on his coins and on the garb of his soldiers. The Edict of Milan, which declared Christianity a legal religion in the Roman world, followed soon after. By 325, Constantine was the sole emperor of Rome, and Christianity was its national religion. This began the area of era of Christendom and brought many benefits to the church, mostly freedom from persecution and a great deal of resources. But it also brought along with it a number of unforeseen challenges. One of the major challenges was the tenuous relationship Constantine himself had with Christianity. According to historian Everett Ferguson, he quotes Constantine, quote, never clearly distinguished between the worship of the sun, S-U-N, and the sun, S-O-N. That is his Neoplatonism that he inherited from his father and Christianity, which he inherited from his mother. Constantine wasn't baptized until his death was imminent, likely in his mind to achieve maximum efficacy in absolving him of the sins required in governing. One such sin was having his wife Fausta and his son Crispus murdered for political reasons, all while claiming to follow Christ. Without judging whether his conversion was genuine or not, Constantine likely saw in Christianity an opportunity to unify the empire. Christianity was certainly useful in promoting harmony after his bloody rise to attaining sole power of the empire. At very least, at the very least, this created a utilitarian motive for his faith. This also created a power struggle of sorts with how the church and the state would interact together. Constantine considered himself the Pontif- Pontifex Maximus, which is uh, Latin for high priest in the religion of Rome. His son, Constantius, went further and called himself Bishop of the Bishops, and they even attempted to define the dogma of the church. Indeed, it was Emperor Constantine, not the Bishop of Rome, who called and presided over the first ecumenical church council in Nicaea. This power struggle went on for centuries as popes excommunicated kings, and kings appointed their own popes and church leaders, and even started their own churches, think King Henry VIII in England. If you're curious, I've linked you to a Wikipedia page on the devotional page about King Henry IV, the Holy Roman Emperor from 1084 to 1105, which illustrates this power struggle very well. Here's a quote from Pope Gregory VII, written during his struggle with King Henry IV, in which he is arguing for the superiority of the church's power over the state. This gets at the tension quite well. He writes, Furthermore, every Christian king, when he comes to die, seeks as a pitiful suppliant the aid of a priest, that he may escape hell's prison, 
may pass from the darkness into the light, and that the judgment of God may appear absolved from the bondage of his sins. Who in his last hour, what layman, not to speak of priests, has ever implored the aid of an earthly king for the salvation of his soul? What king or emperor is able, by reason of the office he holds, to rescue a Christian from the power of the devil through holy baptism, to number him among the sons of God, and to fortify him with the divine unction? Who of them can by his own words make the body and blood of our Lord? That is a reference to the Catholic view of transubstantiation in communion. Or who of them possesses the power of binding and loosing in heaven and on earth? An authority that uh, Catholics believe was given to the priests. After all of these considerations, it is clear how greatly the priestly office excels in power. (laughs) So here we see an example of the Pope arguing with King Henry over who has more power. This also created difficulties for the concept of the church. The New Testament was written in the context of a minority persecuted church. Now the church had become the majority religion and even became the persecutor. After deciding on the Donatist controversy, Constantine directed persecution against them, but gave it up the following year. Constantine also promised a monetary reward for conversion to Christianity in 324. This led to 12,000 people being baptized. Surprise, surprise. The church grew so rapidly that bishops no longer knew the people they were overseeing, and institutional structures were built to accommodate more people. This also led to a reactionary movement known as the monastic movement. As many in the church viewed this marriage between the state and the church as an apostasy from historic Christianity. We could go on and on with story after story of the church's muddy relationship with the state from church history. Ultimately, this form of Christendom at worst caused, and at best allowed for, the well-known atrocities of the Crusades. It also allowed for the state-sanctioned persecution at the hands of the church and the Inquisitions and the counter-reformation of the 16th and 17th centuries. I share this brief story and reference some of those others from history to illustrate that Although the acquisition of power comes with good for the church, that good is often followed by unforeseen evils that leave the church worse off than it was before. We would do well to learn from those who have gone before us of the dangers that come with pursuing power in the governing space as the primary means by which to advance the kingdom of God. For additional content, I've linked you to another article from David French. Uh, This one is titled, How a Rising Religious Movement Rationalizes the Christian Grasp for power. Again, uh, give that, navigate over to the devotional page, give that article a read. Uh, It may be challenging in a lot of ways, but it's good for us to think through and to hear. Today, I invite you to reflect on how little of that story that I shared about Constantine and the early church and Pope Gregory, how little of that story actually sounds like the way in the teaching of Jesus. Think of Jesus' silence before Herod and his conversation with Pilate. Imagine Jesus saying what Pope Gregory says to King Henry IV. He wouldn't, right? So if this doesn't come from Jesus, then where does it come from? Let's reflect on the way of Jesus versus the way uh, we've often seen the church and Christian leaders interact with power.